Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's May 5th, 2022. As always, I'm broadcasting from San Francisco, California, perhaps America's least funny town. Um, and nobody in San Francisco, I think, this morning is laughing. Uh, the end of Roe versus Wade is terrifying, uh, at least according to this New York Times columnist. Um, everyone is sad. Uh, on the left, at least, uh, the Washington Post ran a series about how women across the country are talking about the possible end of Roe. And for people watching this, None of them are smiling. They have very, very serious faces, perhaps understandably. And the headlines are about the next round of the abortion battle. Abortion pills now apparently stand to become the the next battleground. I will try not to make too many jokes about abortion pills, but I guess they are slightly absurd and ludicrous. The left, or at least progressives, are up in arms. The typical comics on the left uh, on late night television are not very funny on this. They're shocked. So we have Seth Meyers, for example, uh, according to Fox, which I think is enjoying this whole thing. Uh, late night hosts are locked together to rip possible Roe versus Wade overturning. We're, and I'm allowed to say this on my show, we're fucked, according to Fox News's reading of the left. Um, very serious comics, shocked. Colbert, of course, who apparently unmasked the pro-life Spider-Man and attacking Susan Collins for presumably shifting the balance. Um, and as Colbert said yesterday, uh, America is still reeling. It's not funny at all, or at least it's not funny on the left. But I think there are comics on the right who are finding this moment rather amusing. Um, and there's a new book out. That's not funny, how the right makes comedy work for them, uh, co-authored by my guest today, Nick Marks, who's a scholar of media and comedy uh, in Colorado. Nick, um, I assume the right are, and right-wing comics in particular, are enjoying this Roe versus Wade moment for them. Are they having a lot of fun? Are they making lots of jokes? Well, I think any uh, issue that goes against liberal progressive sentiment is something they'll seek their teeth into for comic material. Uh, if you take a look at somebody like Greg Gutfeld on Fox News, maybe the most kind of prominent, widely known conservative comic of the moment, uh, he's somebody who doesn't necessarily uh, offer com comedic insight on specific issues like the decision uh, uh, pending on Roe v. Wade, but liberals' reaction to it, as you just identified. So the fact that the Stephen Colbert's of the world and the sort of liberal um, commentariat has been um, reacting so uh, angrily, uh, frustratedly, justifiably so, in, in my opinion, but uh, someone like Gutfeld would um, point out that Stephen Colbert's job is to be a comedian first, to find humor in a somewhat dark time. And I think his uh, approach would be to make fun of that reaction to a political uh, occurrence. I don't want to make, Nick, this um, a conversation about 
the humor or perhaps the lack of humor on the left. I mean, that's obviously part of this conversation. But let's talk about quote-unquote right-wing humor. Um, There are some progressives, people on the left, who I think will argue that conservatives aren't capable of being funny. Do you think that's true? Certainly not. So one of the... um, uh, You don't believe it's true. You think that conservatives can be funny. Absolutely. Uh, It's impossible that the ability to produce and laugh at uh, humor is not shared by 40, 50% of the country. So part of the project of the book is to point out the ways in which uh, liberals have kind of buried our head in the sand and uh, played a definitional dance of any time a conservative attempt at humor has popped up to say, well, that's not really comedy, it's on Fox News, so it's outrage programming, or it's infotainment, or it's something that doesn't uh, make me laugh, therefore it can't be defined as comedy. But we uh, cite examples of uh, right-wing humor over and over again, things that are produced by and for conservative audiences, that the mountain of evidence is simply not true anymore. There is certainly a uh, center liberal bias in the established comedy institutions that have uh, dominated mainstream cultural thought on the issue for the last 20 years, whether it's The Daily Show or Saturday Night Live, or even the the late night comedy talk shows, Kimmel, Fallon, Colbert, tend to take on a, a center left orientation. And I think have created this somewhat common sense idea that, oh, that uh, comedy must have intrinsically a a liberal political agenda. It's simply not the case anymore. Nick, um, one of the sad pieces of news was that PJ O'Rourke died uh, last month, one of America's funniest writers, certainly a conservative, close friend of of my publisher, Morgan Entrican. Would it be fair to say that in historic terms, uh, the O'Rourke's of the world have been just as funny as conservatives, as the left. If anything, conservatives tend to be funnier, take themselves slightly less seriously than progressives. I think I'd, I'd zoom out a little bit from the, the specific figure of O'Rourke and place the discussion we're having in um, the historical context of our impulse to politicize comedy today. So the, the uh, impulse... Well, O'Rourke is a in his own way, was a political writer, wasn't he? Certainly. And there's a a rich tradition of political satire uh, across the uh, political spectrum dating back into the early decades of the 20th century. What I'm identifying today is a reaction largely driven by social media conversation to immediately sort of politically pigeonhole uh, a form of comedy without giving it room to, to breathe as an expression of an art form in and of itself first. So movies, podcasts, TV shows tend to be judged very quickly first by whether their creator holds a certain political idea or whether it could inspire a certain action on the uh, parts of a impressionable group of of young men viewing it or whatever the case is. So I think we've um, too quickly fallen into a trap where every bit of comedy has a politically ideological valence, where I don't think that was always necessarily the case. You mentioned, uh, Nick, Greg uh, Gutfield. Um, According to Neiman, he is now 
the most popular late night host on television on Fox, uh, more popular than Stuart or B or Oliver. It, what is his humor, Gutfield? Is he a uh, is he funny? I mean, you may not agree with him, but is he a good comic? I haven't seen him. I have to admit, I don't watch <laughs> Fox for you know. I'm a classic liberal, although I don't watch the uh, the other networks either. So maybe I'm just out of it completely. Um, like many people on Fox News, Greg Gutfeld is a guy who wants to be on TV, and he found the particular. Well, we all want to be on TV, Nick. That's the same is true <laughs> of John Stewart and John Oliver. I mean that that's that's an um, that's below the belt, isn't it? Oh, I don't think so. I think many of the personalities on Fox News were folks who maybe wanted to have more conventional screen careers, but found an economic lane that they could fill by speaking NRA talking points or whatever the. Do the you case have evidence be. for that? I mean, that's that's pretty. That's it, it may be true, but it, it, it it's a pretty uh, cynical view of of anyone who appears on Fox. They're only doing it for the money, whereas you're suggesting on the other networks, people are doing it because they believe in it. No, no, certainly not. I I think a a, a lot of folks who have successful screen careers make. Uh, similar compromises maybe in their their personal beliefs and artistic visions in order to have success on screen. I was merely perhaps uh, condescendingly making reference to Dana Loesch, the former NRA spokesperson who somewhat famously had a sort of flame out career in Hollywood and then decided to be an NRA spokesperson. Gutfeld may have more sort of political conviction that I'm giving him credit before, for, but part of his appeal, I think, is that he much more explicitly embraces the persona of a late night comedian. I think he is there to be a, a voice for comedy from the right wing perspective. His show has, like all the other late night comedy shows, a monologue. It's got a panel of guests that discuss topics of the day. It's got pre-recorded sketches, much like the ones you would see on Saturday Night Live or, or Fallon or others. So I only mean to say that uh, Gutfeld and others like him identified an economic lane to fill this heretofore unfulfilled world of, of conservative comedy, and they're driving straight into it and embracing it, even if maybe it's not something they saw themselves doing or wanted to, to end up doing. How far does Gutfeld go? Does he, does he have limits in terms of being outrageous on his humor i mean does he make jokes about abortion pills is he able to make distasteful jokes about abortion or is he controlling his humor compared to some of the other figures we write about in the book gutfeld is as mainstream a character in the right-wing comedy world as it comes so we identify fox news as the kind of front entrance to this bigger comedy complex where folks initially interested in conservative comedy probably can approach through the, you know, the traditional trappings of a late night comedy show like in Gutfeld. So he tends not to go too hard into specific partisan issues as much as he does, as I was saying earlier, the reaction to those political decisions, how liberal thinkers and liberal thought leaders react to news. Like yeah, it's really, um, Nick, it's shooting fish in a barrel. I mean, the, the progressive left in this country is so unfunny and so vulnerable to being caricatured that it's not a hard thing to do, is it? I'm not sure I agree. I have a, a ton of uh, podcasts and, and TV shows that I consume that take a, a pretty decidedly left perspective. 
I think the mainstream comedy institutions like the late night shows, like Saturday Night Live, have fallen back on uh, safety and broadly appealing jokes and appeasing a sort of moderate middle where maybe in a previous era they might have been a bit edgier. So I think some mm. of that adventurousness in those comedy institutions has gone away in recent years. Yeah, what's happened, uh, and, and again, I want to come back to conservatives, what's happened to comedy on the left? Uh, John Stewart seems to capture that. He was, I think most people would agree, a very funny comedian, and I think most people would agree now he's lost his humor. Is this just cyclical, that one side is up in the comic wars for a while, and then they lose their mojo, they lose their energy? Or has something happened to progressive comedy in America that is, makes it not very funny anymore, not very dangerous, not very, um, uh, not very adventurous. My suspicion is that it's cyclical. I think we're going through an era right now coming out of the, the Trump administration where because liberals were not able to fight and win the political battles that we wanted to, we retreated into fighting cultural battles, right? We wanted our uh, comedy, our cultural products to be the, the sort of virtuous, sanitized things that could make us feel good about the world where the political landscape made us feel very bad. I think some of that tendency manifested in a uh, self-censoriousness among liberal comedians, a tendency to not pursue edgy humor where they might have in a previous era. I think it'll come back around, though. I don't know that that is the permanent state of the world now just because right-wing comedians are occupying this this newly vacated uh, comedic edge territory. Nick, we've done a lot of shows on cancel culture. It's absurd that the media, podcasts, newspapers are obsessed with it. Do you think that the, the, censor, the censorous part of, of, of cancel culture, is it more prominent on the left or the right? Do you see it as much in conservative comedy as you do in, in left-wing comedy and progressive comedy in America? Do I see cancel culture on both the left and the right? Yeah. And and how is it? I mean, obviously, they can make fun of cancel culture on the, on the other side. But to what extent are they perhaps so penned in by not wanting to offend that it actually undermines their humor? Yeah. Um, I, I don't have very fully formed thoughts on the, the term of, of cancel culture. What, what I will say is that the, the right is a bit better at overcoming their intramural ideological differences to mobilize behind a shared political goal of defeating liberal political causes. We on the left, because our coalition is bigger, it's more diverse and more inclusive, tend to have more infighting, whether that manifests in canceling or whatever you want to call it, I, I, I don't know. But we tend to be not as efficient, not as good at overcoming our sort of intra-ideological differences to mobilize behind specific candidates and specific political causes. You've mentioned uh, Gutfield, who's uh, very well known <laughs> now. Um, you also mentioned uh, in your book... Um, uh, uh, Trevor, uh, not Trevor, no, uh, uh, Joe Rogan. I, I never really thought of Rogan as a, as a comic. I mean, you can laugh at him. I'm not sure if you can laugh with him. Do you consider Joe Rogan a, 
uh, a form of comedy or a comic, a comedian? And 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 how is his comedy different from Gutfield's? And 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 is he indeed a conservative? I, I, I mean, he 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 seems to be a character in some ways that eludes definitions in political terms. So. Yes, Joe Rogan is a, a massively successful touring stand-up comedian who had a, a history as a you know a broadcast sitcom star on news radio for years, has toured the world doing stand-up comedy and still does. Politically, his um, personal ideology is all over the place. It, it, he's not quite as easily defined as right-wing as some of the other figures we write about in the book. Anybody who's been on mic for as long as Rogan has in his career can plausibly confirm or deny any political idea you want him to. The important thing with Rogan, though, is that his connections to many of the other right-wing comedians we write about in the book is overwhelmingly in the direction of conservative political thought. Uh, so while he did, for example, uh, endorse Bernie Sanders in the 2020 primary, after Bernie dropped out, he endorsed Trump, so he'll often hold that up as evidence that he's uh, not right-wing. Again, it's the the guests that he has on his show over and over again, the ideas that those guests espouse and where those guests go to other TV shows and podcasts that make the connection to increasingly sort of nefarious right-wing political activity and right-wing thought pretty undeniable. Uh, you mentioned the T word, Trump. Trevor Noah suggested that, and, and you cite Noah in, in, in one of your articles, that uh, Noah compared Trump to a stand-up comic. Um, is Trump, do you think, a comic? And is part of his political success really the way in which comedy or performance and politics have merged in America? We've done so many shows on Trump, lots of shows about the idea of him as a performer and politics essentially becoming just another form of entertainment. Of course, that's been something that's been predicted for many years in America. Yeah, so I'll not repeat any of those likely familiar uh, points, specifically about Trump's comedic capabilities. I, I think he tried to be funny often and, and very often succeeded among his sort of witting fan base. If you look at his sort of political speech persona, right, when he's in front of a crowd, a lot of what he does mimics the type of crowd work that a successful stand-up does. He deals with hecklers, right? He does crowd work and, and points out people and, and engages in banter with them. And then he'll turn them against the, the uh, journalists in the crowd. And oftentimes when he's going off the teleprompter, it's to evoke the laughter of superiority against some political opponent. Think of um, the, the former New York City mayor who's very short, whose name I'm forgetting off the top of my head. The, the many times that he went after... That Ty was a Cruz. joke, Nick, wasn't it? He's instantly forgettable and he's very short. <laughs> yes, the uh, Bloomberg, right. Um, the, uh, the, the political opponents that he would turn into the objects of derisive laughter is undeniably a, a, a stand-up comedian's impulse. It's meant to get people on your side by saying, we're better than this person, let's laugh at them and feel better about ourselves. What about this idea that, particularly articulated by some literary theorists and writers, that conservative humor really isn't real humor? Uh, Umberto Eco, for example, has theory of the frames of comic freedom that he's suggesting that unless you're undermining the structures of power, you're not really a comic. 
Simon Critchley has an interesting new book out on humor. Where do you stand on defining humor and um, whether or not you can be funny, even if you're not undermining the establishment and the conventional structures of power? Uh, so we, as we argue in the book, uh, comedy is highly contextual. It's got an industrial sort of basis to it. So it depends on who's making it and who's watching it. It does not have a, a political valence in and of itself. But as we identify in the writing of Critchley and a few other folks over and over again, there's this, uh, I called it a definitional dance earlier to say that comedy is not comedy unless it's doing the work of subverting power structures. That may be the type of comedy that I as a liberal like, and I agree with that definition, but you cannot tell me that uh, what Greg Gutfeld is doing on his nightly show or what Joe Rogan is doing in stand-up clubs isn't also meant to evoke laughter among a like-minded audience. So it's first got to have the, the, that textual quality of uh, evoking um, a, a response of laughter, right? Of getting someone on your side by sharing uh, a, a joke with them. The sort of political valence builds out of context, not from the format itself. Why, why don't, uh, with, with the obvious exception of Fox, why don't the major networks have conservative comics? They all, it seems to be a medium, especially late night television, entirely dominated uh, by progressives, many of whom I actually don't find particularly funny. Why don't they choose to have a, a, a Gutfield, for example, who's, who, have, who you have said is, is relatively mainstream and inoffensive? It's a, a good question. And I think it's um, all about media industry economics. So we've had nearly half a century now of center left leaning comedy institutions like The Tonight Show, like late night shows, Saturday Night Live, and then into the 21st century, The Daily Show, that kind of paired as exclusive uh, forever, liberal thought and uh, comedy performance, right? Um, I think that's been a very reliable moneymaker for many TV networks over the course of the last 50 years. And to veer away from that would mean taking a chance, something that uh, mainstream media networks are averse to doing, right? They're, they're not going to veer too far away from the formula that's been uh, profiting shareholders and selling ad time over the decades. So what I think you're seeing um, uh, Fox News and a few other outlets try is to create new economic space, create a new institution that might have potential to be um, long lasting and passed down to future hosts once Gutfeld retires or whatever the case is. The New Republic, one of the one of the unfunniest publications I think I've ever read. I don't think they've ever smiled, let alone laughed. Uh, they had a piece last year about the comedy, the comedy industry having a big alt-right problem, and then they followed up with a classic editor's note about being misled by something or other. Is there an alt-right industry when it comes to comedy? Uh, Nick, you mentioned Gutfield as being mainstream, but is there a, a more radical, uh, a more subversive, perhaps a more dangerous a world of comedy bubbling up beneath Gutfield and Rogan? Certainly, yeah. The, the book explores the connections that that more above-ground mainstream world has to some of the more avowedly uh, racist, sexist spaces that uh, exist out of 
sites off of the the main television channels and social media feeds that liberals are accustomed to. And that siloing is a very important part of how the uglier aspects of right-wing comedy remain largely unseen to liberals and can function as a recruiting mechanism for you know, politically undecided, especially young men who are ideologically all over the place, they're fans of Rogan, they're going to go to the places that uh, push the envelope, that have a bit of edge to their um, humor in them. And right now that space exists on uh, the right wing uh, cultural spaces. Uh, you In your work, you mentioned people like Steven Crowder has almost 6 million subscribers on, on YouTube. Are there particular alt-right comics who really come to mind in terms of this more radical right-wing comic circuit? So I wouldn't call Steven Crowder alt-right. Uh, there are figures who adopt a comedic sensibility when speaking their mind or executing their political agenda. We talk about the Proud Boys founder, uh, Gavin McGinnis, as a, a right-wing troll who jokes uh, in, in a sort of hyper-ironic way to elicit a reaction out of liberal opponents that he can then use against them. Um, the, the, the connections go deeper into the sort of neo-Nazi fascist space with some pretty ugly uh, podcasts that exist in the, the, the deep nether regions of the internet. But, but again, it's funny. I mean, is that humor? I mean, you can't just say, you know, bring up Auschwitz and, and then start laughing. That's not humor, is it? It's certainly meant to be by, say, the podcasters, uh, The Daily Show, for instance. So taking one of the most taboo subjects possible and saying we've joked about everything else, the last place, the last uh, economic niche for us to fill is to take it to this most extreme place. Uh, it has the intention and effect of eliciting uh, laughter out of a, a Confederate audience, right? Out of somebody who's looking for that extreme edge irony sensibility. Do you think that young people, maybe you mentioned men, but also women are ready for this right-wing humor because of the fact that schools and colleges in particular are so dominated by progressives and the left in America? Um, I think that there is a history of using comedy to court young audiences, especially on television in uh, major motion pictures. There's a, a, a long history of economically successful comedy products with mostly young audiences, yes. Uh, and uh, what, finally, Nick, what should we, quote unquote, progressives be doing about it? Should we try and make ourselves a little funnier? Should we recognize that we've become too serious? Um, or um, perhaps should we be thinking about closing down some of these more alt-right networks because they're so profoundly offensive? So again, I want to reiterate that I, I don't know that there is an uh, alt-right uh, comedy network, and I wouldn't use that term for any of the more mainstream <laughs> figures. Those we, are my words. That's a joke. At least yeah. we can be... <laughs> yeah, well, certainly. That, yeah, but... I mean, so, so you think that New Republic... Um, talking about the comedy industry having a what they call a big alt-right problem. You think they're wrong. They're sensationalizing it, overreacting. Uh, I don't know. I haven't read that piece. Um, 
all I can point to is figures like we write about in the book, like McInnes and his Proud Boys followers who align with, with that ideology. Um, I, I will point back to your original question, though, and say that, yes, I think the left has lost some of its comedic edge for fear that we have um, focused too much on making our cultural products safe and sanitized and good, because that makes us feel good, where so much of the political activity beyond our control makes us feel bad. So I'd urge fellow uh, liberals, fellow liberal comedians to resuscitate some of that adventurousness and push some of the formal and aesthetic boundaries that used to be so closely associated with us and not cede that ideological territory to uh, the right. Nick, what makes you laugh? <laughs> Oh boy, I like absurd uh, humor. Um, so sketch comedy shows, uh, I'm, I'm writing right now about the Netflix sketch comedy show, I Think You Should Leave, which good luck trying to ascribe a political valence to anything that show is doing. It, it's pure sort of silliness and absurdity. Um, yeah. And is there, should there be anything off limits? I mean, can I making a joke about abortion pills, for example, or is that simply beyond the pale? I am a free speech advocate. So you're in the Elon Musk camp? No. Anything goes, Nick, <laughs> except Auschwitz, right? I, so I, I do not wish to, to uh, uh, provide a, a prescription for what makes good or, or bad comedy. I, ours is a descriptive and analytic project saying this thing exists, we have to take it seriously, and it is being used as a, a recruitment mechanism. Don't overlook its power. I leave it up That's to- That's an interesting way of putting it. We have to take it seriously. How, and this is the title of your book is with, you wrote with Matt Sienkiewicz. Uh, uh, That's not funny how the right makes comedy work for them. Um, I, as as we said, I, I think it actually points to a, a deeper problem amongst progressives in America. But, but, but I think you're right to suggest that at least it's important to recognize the power of comedy on the right. Correct. I'm, I'm not in a position to uh, do anything about it or to tell anybody to do anything about it. I'm still doing the work of just getting folks to recognize that it is a thing and that it has power. You're an academic, Nick. Uh, can you make jokes in college? Or is that out the question now? Uh, no, I can. But not offensive ones. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I leave that up to the day-by-day uh, -day, uh, flow of what is right to do in the moment. Well, you're a brave man to come on my show with all this talk of abortion pills, but... Appreciate it. And a really interesting fair book, a balanced book. That's not funny how the right makes comedy work for them. An interesting both historic, cultural, economic overview of this new uh, world of right wing comedy, both in establishment terms in Fox News and, and perhaps bubbling beneath the surface on the Internet. It's an important and interesting and original new book. Congratulations, Nick, on that. Uh, what else are you reading? Perhaps to cheer you up or perhaps to make you more miserable in early May 2022. So I, I just finished the um, excellent uh, Tommy Orange novel there, there. 
and I'm uh, I'm currently reading Chuck Klosterman's new book, The '90s. Yeah, what do you think of that? I'm reading it too. Uh, it's I mean I've long really liked him and his his style. I, I just finished the um, chapter on video store uh, culture of the '90s. Yeah, the stuff about Tarantino. Correct. Yeah, I, I like I, to get him on the show, Klosterman. I think he's quite hard to get. Yeah. Um, he's very, very good on culture and music and movies. I think he's less good on politics, but it, but it's a very good book. He's a very good writer, and he, I'm actually listening to it on audiobooks, and he, hmm. he, he 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 narrates it, and he's a very good narrator. That's a good suggestion. We'll have to get Klosterman on. If any any of our viewers or listeners know Chuck Klosterman, please let me know, and we'll get him on the show. And finally, Nick Nick Marks the I haven't made any Marxist jokes yet, Nick, so I'm avoiding that one. Co-author of That's Not Funny. What is the Marxist take on who runs the world? Who's in charge in May 2022, Nick Marx? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll give two answers to this. The first is girls to invoke the Beyonce song that I, I quite enjoy. From and your the, point of view, Nick, or just generally? I'm I'm making a, a, a poor joke. Um, the... The more boring answer, I, I suppose, is uh, the extremely wealthy people do. That the, the uh, folks who uh, own and reproduce and pass down to their children uh, capital. An appropriately Marxist ending. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for having me.